coming on Sundays with the girls in our small group. And it was really welcoming and inspiring to see how this church truly does love Chapel Hill um, with everything that they do. And we're really excited to be a part of it. Yeah. So we're going to be reading uh, Psalms 1 for you guys. Um, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Thank you, Amber and Sydney. Y'all give it up for them. And let's give it up for all of our college students. Yeah. I just want you guys to know, our college students, I want you to know um, how much we appreciate you, uh, how important you are to this church family. Um, you are a lot of the driving force behind much of what we do. And we just really appreciate you. The energy that you pour in, the creativity that you bring to us, the heart and passion that you bring to us. Um, you are a major part of who we are. And we're just really grateful to have you as part of this church family. One of the things that we say over and over again is uh, that we don't have a college ministry. We have a church family where every person finds a place to belong and to serve and to lead. And so you guys are, are a huge part of that, and we, we just really appreciate you. So let's give it up for them one more time. All right, Robbie, you can come on up and help me with that. Thank you. Uh, while Robbie's coming, also let me give a shout-out to this. Uh, Maggie May is here. Maggie May, will you stand up for a second? Where are you? There you are. Okay, awesome. So Maggie May and her roommate Amanda, and I think Amanda is serving with the kids today. Is that right? Okay. Uh, they are hosting a picnic lunch in your backyard for college students in two weeks, correct? Okay, there's the announcement for that. And uh, you're going to hear from them uh, next week about that too. They're going to be announcing that and inviting our other college students to, to be a part of that. Awesome. Y'all, now while we're giving it up for people, let's give it up for Robbie Barnes. who is trying to help me assemble this very complicated easel. It really is actually more complicated than it seems. Thank you, Robbie. You're the man. All right, and everyone who prays, pray that this doesn't collapse on me today. All right. Yeah, just hug me. Perfect, thanks, buddy. All right, today we are diving into a new series called Kingdom Tide. And that name comes from this imagery that we're going to be studying over the next several weeks together. This imagery throughout the Old Testament of water. All right, particularly the imagery of the river and the stream. It's an important image that works its way all the way through Scripture. Uh, we find it in the beginning narrative of creation where it talks about the, the rivers that were present there. And it runs all the way to the book of Revelation, where one of the final images that we get 
uh, as, as John is describing this vision of all things healed, of creation fully restored, of the city of God descending, and of the new heavens and the new earth, he describes this image of a river that runs from the temple and runs through the city, and along the banks of the river are growing these trees that are full of these leaves that are good for healing. It's beautiful imagery. It works its way from the beginning all the way to the end, and it's a common thread that we find through Scripture. It's particularly important when you think about the time and place in which Scripture is written and which the, the area of the world in which much of Scripture takes place, right? It's an arid environment where water carries that even deeper meaning. It's something that we don't often think about, our desperate need for it. These were people who lived with that desperate need and, and, the, and the obvious need at all times. It's at our fingertips. But for them, it was something that was always at the front of their minds. So we're going to be studying that, that image together, this image of the river and the stream. And we're starting today in one of my favorite passages and in a passage that is... Um, one of the foundational passages for us as a church. And when we talk about discipleship and we talk about being rooted in scripture, we often come back to this passage. So this is serving as the foundation for the beginning of this series. Uh, so Psalm 1, as the ladies already uh, read for us, Psalm 1. And we get this beautiful description of a stream that gives life to a tree. Right, The stream that runs beside there, but where the tree is planted. And because the tree is planted by the stream, the tree is drawing nourishment and life from that stream. It's a beautiful image. It's idyllic in ways. It's organic. It's natural. But what we need to understand about this image is even though it's organic and natural, it's not accidental. That word planted is a key word in that passage. The tree is planted there. There is purpose to the tree being placed right there because it's understood and it's clear that it needs to be placed next to that life-giving stream and drawing nourishment from that. And everything else that gets described about the tree is being drawn from that image of the stream that runs beside it. So that's what we're going to be digging into today and unpacking together today. Um, the Psalms all together uh, are a collection of, of poetry, right? It's as, as a book. Uh, they're not all written as a book at the same time, okay? It's not like chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. It's this collection of different poems from different authors. And all together, as a collection, it becomes and it forms this prayer book for God's people. It teaches them how to pray. And God's people throughout their history used these prayers. They would teach these prayers to the next generation. It was something that they would carry around with them in their hearts. It was a part of how they worshiped together. They would pray these poems. They would sing these poems as songs of worship, as an expression of their experience with God. And these beautiful poems that we find in this collection... They, they span such a range of different kind of emotions and experiences 
that we find there. So we get poems that are about praising God for who he is. We get poems that are uh, contemplating the beauty of the law of God, the beauty of his word. We get poems of encouragement that give us strength in times of difficulty. But we also get poems of, of just bare lament. We get poems that are brutally honest about the anguish that people are going through and what people are experiencing. And as you read through the Psalms, you will find every emotion that you have experienced, you will find it being expressed through the Psalms. This is what taught God's people how to pray. These were the prayers of God's people. They have experienced the same things that you and I go through on a daily basis. And these Psalms are speaking to us with brutal honesty about the human experience. Read through them and you will find your story there. Regardless of what season you find yourself in right now, read through the Psalms, walk through the Psalms, root yourself in that word and you will find your story being played out right there in front of your eyes. It it describes so many different emotions and experiences. It describes uh, what it feels like to be uprooted. It describes what it feels like to go through a drought of the soul and spirit. It describes what it feels like when when tears are the only thing that quench your thirst. It describes parched lands and parched hearts when when there's no fruit, no leaves on barren branches. Anybody ever been there before? Amen. Amen. The Psalms are brutally honest about the full scope of human experience and not afraid to throw out questions to God about why they're experiencing that. And yet I find it really interesting that the entire collection of the Psalms, even though it spans all of these different emotions and experiences, I find it really interesting that the entire collection of these poems begins with this masterpiece of a poem, Psalm 1. This is the beginning, and it's placed there on purpose. Most of the other Psalms have titles that come along with them, or they're attributed to certain authors. This poem doesn't have a title, to it and it's not attributed to any author and scholars suggest this is because it was intended to be a preface to the entire book it was a preface to the entire collection and it's saying to us right through the beginning right at the beginning through all that you are going to face everything else that you read through this collection of poem the range of emotion the range of experience through everything else that you are going to experience and face here's what you need to know up front here's how you prepare yourself for what you're going to walk through in life root yourself beside the stream that is going to lead to a flourishing life root yourself root yourself be planted by the stream that's going to give life to the tree This poem begins intentionally with a contrast. It lays out from from the start. Blessed is the person who doesn't do that, but instead does this. 
All right. Blessed is the person who doesn't do that, but instead does this. And right from the beginning, it gives us this competing vision, right, of, of what life should look like. And it's telling us from the beginning that all of us are going to be influenced. All of us are going to be shaped. All of us are going to be led. You actually don't have any choice in that. Something or someone is going to influence you and shape you in your life and lead you in your life. You don't have any choice in that. Where the choice comes in is you deciding what will influence you or who is going to influence you and shape you and lead you. That's where the choice comes in. And so the poet paints two different pictures here. Here's what it looks like to walk, to sit, to stand in the way of sinners and in the way of wickedness. And then here's what it looks like to be planted and to be rooted by streams of living water, a fruitful, a flourishing life, yielding fruit in season whose leaves never wither. Walk, stand, sit. That's how, that's how the poet begins this uh, this comparison and this contrast that's being made right here. Walk, stand, sit. And you can see that progression in that, right? There's a progression in the words and in the language. With this being poetry, every word is carefully chosen and every word is intentional here. So just that image of walk, stand, sit. It shows us this progression of becoming settled in. Right, Not just passing by and walking, not just standing for a moment, but actually getting to the point where you take a seat and you get settled in. There's an intentional progression that's being painted here uh, of what it looks like to start being settled and start being stagnant in your life. And then it paints the alternative vision. It casts an alternative vision of a tree planted, rooted by streams of water. Now, at first for me, I'm like actually planted and rooted is more stagnant, right? That's like more non-movement. Like you're just not going anywhere if you're rooted and planted. So what's the picture that's trying to be painted here? But here's the thing. Being rooted isn't stagnant. Being rooted isn't settled because the whole process of being planted and rooted opens us up for the possibility of growth. It opens us up for the possibility of growth to be alive, to be growing, to bear fruit, to have the leaves, to, be, to have roots that are moving deeper and reach that is going further. And it paints this image of a flourishing life. On the other hand, the person that walks, sits, uh, walks, stands, and sits in the way of wickedness is described not as a tree that's planted by streams of water, but as chaff that is blown by the wind chaff that is blown by the wind now to the original audience that would have been experiencing this and hearing this and reading this they're coming from an agricultural environment where they would have understood that imagery part of the way that they did um, farming and collecting the harvest in this day is that when it came time for the wheat harvest what they would do to separate the wheat from the chaff is this. They would take the pile all together and they would throw it in the air. And the grains of wheat, the good wheat, the good grains being heavier would fall directly down to the ground while the wind, while the wind would actually take the chaff away. And that's the separation 
that's happening there. So they would throw it up and the wind would remove the chaff. It's this thing that's lifeless. It's this thing that's easily carried away by the breeze. And so the poet isn't being very intentional with this language. Be like a tree that's rooted, that's planted, that's drawing life from the stream, not like chaff that is weak, that is lifeless, that is blown by every single breeze. Which life do you want? Which life do you want? There's a competing vision and we're given the choice which life to walk in. The poet goes on, blessed is the person whose delight is in the law. Blessed is the person whose delight is in the law. Now, uh, so in this poem, the stream is imagery of the law of God. Okay. Now, a lot of times when we talk about the law in terms of Christianity, then, then we always paint that in a bad light, right? And, but here's what we need to understand. What the poet is saying here is when, when the poet uses the, the, the term the law, and all throughout the Psalms we see this from various authors, we see this. The law is, descri- is describing the word of God, okay? The law is describing the word of God. And so in Psalm 119, the longest of the Psalms, epic, like you need to read. I just sounded like my son. My son says epic all the time. I'm so sorry. All right. He is influencing me. Okay. <laughs> Which path am I going to walk here? All right. Um, but this, this intense poem, all right, the longest in, in, in all of, of all of the Psalms, and it is beautiful. But over and over again, it's this tribute to the law of God and how beautiful the law is. The law is like honey on our lips. The law is like an open field through which I run with freedom, and it paints this beautiful picture of it. That's what the psalmists are getting at and the poets are getting at with this language. The stream is representing the law, which means the word of God, that there is life in the word of God, and that the word of God gives life to those who are rooted in it, inspired by the living spirit of the living God, giving nourishment to the tree, producing fruit, the life of the tree. And this imagery tells us that as everything else shifts around us, everything else is shifting around us, the scriptures root us in truth. They remind us of who we are. They remind us of where we've been. They remind us of where we are going. We can be at home in the scriptures. They speak the truth to us about who we are, about where we've been, about what we've been through, and about where we are headed. One of the great thinkers in the history of Christianity is a, is a bishop out of Africa named Augustine. Uh, our friends Garrett and Shay just had a baby a couple months ago, and, and his name is Augustine, named after this theologian and philosopher. And they gave him the nickname Gus, which I'm like, that is the coolest nickname ever. But now the nickname has morphed into Goose. And I'm like, that kid is cooler now than I will ever be in my life, all right? I need a cool nickname, all right? Um, so, old Goose here. All right, theologian Gus. Um, Here's what he says about it. This is someone who has influenced Christianity since his time and philosophy since his time, since the fourth century. He says this, the Holy Scriptures 
are our letters from home. The Holy Scriptures are our letters from home. They remind us of who we are. They root us in our truest identity. They know what we've been through. They know where we're headed. And they are a rock for us through the entire journey. So that's what this stream is, is representing. It's the Word of God. And it roots us in who we are. It reminds us of where we've been. It tells us where we are headed and gives us hope and speaks hope to us in that. Here's something else that we need to understand about this imagery, too, of the word being described as a stream. One of the things that people will say is this poetic language that you've never stepped into the same stream twice. You've never stepped into the same stream twice maybe you've been going hiking to the same places and you take a break and you walk through the same stream year after year after year after year and the surrounding around you looks exactly the same everything looks the same but that stream is different because that stream is moving it's living water it's flowing it's constantly in motion and you've never stepped into the same stream twice this is what's true of the word for us the word is unchanging and yet, at the same time, it is so transformative in us. The depth of power and wisdom and grace that is available to us there, the depth of understanding and knowledge for our lives, you've never stepped into the same stream twice. The word is alive, and it continues to speak to us exactly where we are. It speaks to us in the moment that we're living in right now. It's ancient, and yet it continues to be innovative. It continues to be innovative. If you don't believe me, read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and tell me you don't think that would be an innovative approach to living in the world today. That would blow people's minds if we actually began to live that out, empowered by him. It would be beautiful, and it would transform the world that we're in it's innovative and yet it's ancient at the same time the scriptures are our letters from home we're rooted in them and at the same time you've never stepped into the same stream twice the word is fresh for you right now right now the poet goes on and says this blessed is the person not just who delights in the law but who meditates on the law or on the word of god day and night this is echoing a passage from the first chapter of joshua blessed is the person who meditates on the word of god day and night now that word meditation might freak some of you out okay that might feel like a little too much of an eastern religion to you okay but uh newsflash scripture wasn't written in america okay scripture wasn't developed by western christianity all right so deal with it okay so here's what the author is saying to us meditate 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 on the word not just memorize that's how we do it in the west like we try to cram as much information and knowledge into our minds as possible and we think that if we can debate it well and we can explain it well then we must know it well but scripture's telling us that might not be true that might not be true the people who missed it 
the most in the Gospels and who are constantly portrayed as completely missing the point are the experts in the law. Those who knew it inside and out. And yet when the word himself was standing right in front of them, they did not recognize him. It's possible for you to be able to win a debate and not know what you're talking about. That's exactly right. Exactly right. The same word as the imagery of a cow who is grazing on grass, right? And then chews and chews and chews and chews, swallows, pulls it back up, (laughs) and chews some more. Anybody want a bagel right now? Okay. (laughs) With strawberry cream. Thank you, Gregory. All right. That's it. That's the imagery that's at play here. Swallows it and pulls it back up and sends it back down and pulls it back up and sends it back down and pulls it back up. That's not to gross you out. That's to tell you that the word must run through your mind until it sinks into your heart. That's what meditation is. That's what meditation is. Meditation is letting scripture run through your mind until it sinks into your heart and escapes into the world through the small common acts of your life. That's meditation. That's meditation. It's not emptying your mind. It's filling your mind of what is going to speak the truth to you. Meditate on the word. We live in a culture where there is an abundance of, of information and there's a drought of obedience you can carry countless versions of scripture right here on your phone in your pocket you can have access immediately to the best thoughts of the best thinkers on Christianity throughout history in your pocket and you can walk around doing absolutely nothing with it meditation is letting scripture run through your mind until it sinks into your heart and it escapes into the world. That's what it is. It begins to transform us. It begins to reshape us. Also, this word for meditation is translated as imagine sometimes in the Hebrew. That freaks me out a little bit. It gets worse. It's also translated as to plot. And it's also translated as to conspire. Now, that seems like no connection, whatever, to meditating on Scripture, right? But think about the connections there. Imagining, plotting, and conspiring, they do the same things that meditation does. We fill our mind with something. We run through a scenario over and over and over in our heads. We keep coming back to it. We refuse to let it go. We obsess over it. And it begins to, without anybody around us knowing, it begins to affect everything about us. It begins to affect the way that we act towards people around us, all because of what is happening right in this small space right here. Those words are connected. Those words are connected. To conspire or to plot is to imagine evil, is to create evil in your mind, is to fill your mind with lies that are harmful to you. To meditate is to push those things out by filling it with the truth of the scripture. And the scripture does become, like the Psalms tell us, a lamp for our feet, a light for our path. Casting light on the shadows of doubt 
and fear that want to fill our minds. We deal with that all the time. We deal with that all the time. We have to fill our minds so that we're shaped by a truth that's stronger than the lies that we entertain and obsess over. That's what this psalmist is calling us to. We have to do that. There's a, a, a great Christian thinker named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's a theologian, who's from Germany, who um, actually lost his life towards the end of World War II. He died in a concentration camp. He was not Jewish himself, but he was standing up against Nazi Germany, and he lost his life right at the end of World War II in a concentration camp. Here's what he said about meditation on God's word, somebody who knows something about it. He said, in meditation, God's word seeks to enter in and to remain with us. It strives to stir us, to work and operate in us so that we shall not get away from it the whole day long. Then it will do its work in us, often without our being conscious of it. He was passionate about that because of the day and time in which he was living. There's a story that says he took some of his students from his seminary up to a hill where they could overlook and see the Nazi army doing training exercises. And he turned to them and he said, some of you ask me why I'm so obsessed with you learning scripture, with us developing this authentic Christian community together. Some of you ask me why I'm so obsessed and passionate about that. And he says, it's because of this. This, and he pointed to them together, the Christian community. He said, this must be stronger than that. And he pointed over to the Nazi army. This must be stronger than that. That's what the psalmist is telling us in this passage and in this beautiful poem. This must be stronger than that. Don't be like the person who walks, stands, sits, in the way of sin and in the way of sinners, but instead be a person who is rooted by a stream of water, the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit speaking to us through the living word of God. This, this is stronger than that. It is, and it must be that in our lives. Here's the deal. When you come to scripture, here's my challenge for you. Aim for submission, not mastery. Aim for submission, not mastery. I love this community. I love so much about this community. I love the influence of the university in this community. I love that it burns in us a passion for knowledge and for to, to continue to seek and push the edges of our intellect. I absolutely love that. But when it comes to scripture, it's more important for us to aim for submission than mastery. We are not the masters of this word. You will study it the rest of your life. And you will never step into the same stream twice. You cannot master it. Aim for submission, not mastery. The word is not a tool or worst yet a weapon in your hand. Instead, you are in the word's hands. You are not the master. You are the student. And you are being shaped by the word. When you let it run through your mind until it sinks into your heart and then escapes through your life. 
into the world. That's what we're being called to here. It's, it's about being planted, which is an intentional imagery, versus chaff, which is blown by every breeze. And if we are planted by the stream, then when the storms of life come, the roots will hold. The roots will hold. Chaff, on the other hand, is blown by every breeze, but the tree stands firm through the wind. You will face storms. We read that through the rest of the Psalms. We, you can't escape it reading through that collection of poems. You can't escape it. No way but the roots will hold when you are rooted in scripture and scripture will speak over you in times of anxiety and in times of depression and in times of tragedy and in times of success and in times of failure and in times of betrayal in times when you need wisdom when you need courage when you need provision in times when you're facing injustice in times when you're facing temptation, in times when you're desperate for healing and you're hungry for more of God. It teaches us how to pray. It teaches us how to worship. It teaches us how to fast. It teaches us how to act and live and reflect and serve and respond and lead. In every season of life, the roots hold. The roots hold when we're planted by the stream. Just this week in our Bible study on Tuesday night, we meet at Moe's, 7 o'clock. Anybody's welcome to come. This uh, semester, we're going through the Gospel of John like we do every fall. We'd love for you to come and to explore that with us. We've only, in like three weeks, we've only got through John chapter 1 so far. So you're not behind, all right? You can come jump in with us. Totally not my fault either. That, that Yes, it is totally my fault. Um, but this week, as we were sitting around that table together, it was so beautiful as someone was experiencing was sharing their experience and giving testimony about the experience that they've gone through and they were saying man I just feel like I can't get I just can't move forward in this the things I want to do I just can't do and the things I don't want to do I can't help but doing and it was beautiful as another person across the table opened up the word to the book of Romans and began to speak truth over that friend and said that what you just described is the exact experience that we see Paul talking about in the book of Romans. And then he tells us that there is, this is the culmination of that, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's beautiful. The word has a way of striking right at the heart of what we need at the moment. It will speak to us in whatever season we are in. Wrapping up here. Another thing that's important that's described about this tree is it talks about it bearing fruit, that because it's rooted in this stream, this life-giving stream that is living, that is moving, because the tree is drawing nourishment from that life-giving stream, the tree is bearing fruit. The tree is bearing fruit. All of us want to bear fruit in our relationship with God. We're hungry for that. We want to see that happen. What we need to understand is important two words in that image. It says yielding fruit in season. Yielding fruit in season. Some of you right now are in a season of life where you can't see any fruit in your life. And you're deeply discouraged by it. You feel like you're praying, you're pouring your heart out. Nothing's happening. You're reading the word. You're looking for guidance. Nothing is happening. 
You're trying to surrender your heart and stay in a place of submission. Nothing is happening. You're asking God to show you what to do next. Nothing is happening. Nothing. Here's what we need to understand about the nature of seasons. There are times in the life of the tree when the branches are empty and it looks like the tree is dead. But it's during those seasons, it's during those winter times when something is happening beneath the surface that we won't see the results of until spring finally arrives. But something is already happening beneath the, beneath the surface. One of the things we say over and over again, and we keep coming to over and over again here in this church, is this. You don't burn down an orchard in winter. Don't burn down the orchard in winter. Spring is coming. Hang on. Stay rooted. You don't know what is happening beneath the surface right now, but in due time, you will begin to see it on the branches. Stay rooted. Stay rooted. Stay rooted. There's a great writer named Richard Foster who writes about the Christian life. In beautiful ways. My favorite book by him is called Celebration of Discipline. And in that book, he says this. He says, what the world needs right now is not more talented people. What the world needs right now is not more gifted people. What the world needs is deep people. The world needs deep people. That's who we want to be as the church. That's who we want to be as the church. Here's our deal. You got in your seat uh, one of these. And this is a very practical application for what we've been talking about today. All right. If you're wondering what the this was about, I'm skipping that. <laughs> Sorry, Robbie. All right. I got a little long winded, so I'm going to I'm going to skip past that part. All right. And I'm going to go to this. OK, so. Um, Thank you, Gregory. Gregory is sad that I'm skipping it. The rest of you are like, whew, thank you. All right. <laughs> so here's the deal. We keep coming back to this over and over and over again. We want to put something practical in your hands for you to become people who are rooted in the word, planted by the stream of living water, life-giving water, the word of God. When you are rooted in the word, that word will speak life into you if you will root yourself in the word then you will eat the fruit of that for the rest of your life if you will root yourself in the word you will eat the fruit of that for the rest of your life there will be seasons when it seems like there's no fruit but spring is coming spring is coming so here's what we're doing we're putting these in your hands it's a scripture reading guide this is a six month daily scripture reading guide one chapter of scripture a day that takes you through the overarching story of scripture so you get a sense of the whole sweep of it so it's trying to root you in the whole scripture okay so one chapter a day in that and if you're feeling ambitious and you want to go further than that then there's also listed there one reading from the psalms or the proverbs um to go along with each day as well and then there's this this is a simple guide for studying scripture by yourself or with someone all right and it uses the acronym of grow and you can read that for yourself and dig into what that means but this is us just trying to put practical help in your hands 
to be able to live out what it looks like to be rooted in the word. Rooted, planted by streams of water. Bearing fruit in season. Leaf that does not wither. That's who we want to be as a church. That's our prayer. That's our prayer. So, as we close out today, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. And we're going to close in this meal that Christians have observed together throughout the history of our faith. A meal that traces its history all the way back to the Exodus, but is is given new meaning and is infused with new and deep meaning on Jesus' last night with his disciples when he took this meal that they had been observing all of their lives and he showed them that it was pointing ahead to him and that he was fulfilling it in a way that they could not anticipate. We're going to share in this meal together. On his last night with his disciples, Jesus took the bread that was on the table and he broke it. He said, this is my body that is broken for you. Then he took the cup that was on the table. And he said, this cup represents the blood of the new covenant. My blood poured out for the salvation of the world. Every time you share in this meal together, remember what I have done for you. He invites us into that today to remember his grace for us, his sacrifice for us that wins our salvation because Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross. He brings us into a reconciled relationship with God so that we can be the kind of people who don't walk, stand, and sit in the way of wickedness, but a new path has been carved out for us. A new vision has been cast for our lives. Instead of chaff blown by the wind, We are trees planted by streams of water. What Isaiah 61 calls oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That is who you are. That is who you are. And that is who he is inviting you to be and to become. So we invite you to share in this meal today. There'll be two stations. There'll be one here and one on that side. And if you need a gluten-free option, then that will be available for you right here. I'm going to ask my friend Joel to come up and to help me. I'm going to ask my friend Chris to come.